good to see everyone here tonight. I mentioned this morning uh, we dealt with the issue of sin, and we looked at sin, saw that that's something that, that divides and separates. It, it breaks relationships, not only with each other, but also with God. But God has dealt with that, and because of that, we have reason and cause to rejoice. And that's what we want to talk about tonight, is the, the whole idea of joy. Uh, can everyone hear me all right? I have this mic on. Okay, good. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. And Lord, as we study your word, as we come together and hear testimonies from each other, as we experience the edification of each other, the comfort from each other, the encouragement from each other, the understanding of just who you are and, and what you've done for us just never ceases to end, Lord. And we have such a deeper understanding day by day of all that you are and how much you deeply love us. We pray, Father, that this, as we study this and endeavor to understand this, that it'll be a source of just continuing, ever-increasing joy for us, Father. Pray now, Lord, that uh, you'll be with me as I, as, I, as I present your word. Pray, Father, that I do it accurately and faithfully. And I pray, Lord, that the hearts of all of us will be open to what you have to teach us tonight. All this we ask and we pray for in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn to Psalm 100, Psalm 100. We're going to read the whole psalm. It's only five verses, so it's not long. Psalm 100, beginning in verse 1. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to the Lord, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. I have a question for you tonight. Have you ever really thought about what God really wants for people? Boy, what exactly is his will for us? Is it a good life? You can talk to a lot of different people. In fact, if we talk to everyone in here tonight, Everyone would probably have a little different interpretation of exactly what the good life really is. How about being saved from hell? Prosperity, health, contentment, or obedience. These are certainly all things that are talked about in the Bible. But I want to look at something else tonight. Um, our faith tells us that all of these things and much more will be ours in the age to come. In Ephesians chapter 2 we read, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love which he has, with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated, with, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In order that, in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And the verse I mentioned this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that says, Just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and neither has entered into the heart of man, all these the Lord has prepared for those who love him. But the question then is, this is, this is all in the age to come, an absolute certainty, and our faith certainly gives us the hope that we need to look forward to that. But is there anything we can be certain that God wants for us right now? And the answer, of course, is yes. One of the most important, thing, most important things that I think we find in, in John, and there's three, three passages in John that talk about this in, ver, in chapters 15, 
16 and 17. If you want to turn to these, John chapter 15, verse 11, then we'll go over to John 16 and then John 17. In John 15, verse 11, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And then Jesus again in chapter 16, verse 24 says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And then going on over in chapter 17, verse 13, we see again Jesus says, But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Over the years, I've seen a lot of Christians who are not particularly happy. I've been through periods of time in my life where I haven't been really happy. And there have been times when I've asked the question, well, what about this joy? What about this fullness of joy? Well, where is it? Because right now I don't experience it, or, or she doesn't experience it, or he doesn't experience it. What's going on? And I've had it described to me, well, it's not really happiness. It's not really excitement. It's, it's just an abiding assurance of our security in heaven. But I don't think that's what these verses are talking about because Jesus said, um, ask and you will receive. He's not telling them to ask at some future age. He's saying, ask right now and you will receive. He said, I came to speak in the world that they may have my joy. This is something he wants us to have right now. There's certainly a place for, for solemnness in, in our worship of God, especially when we deal with the issue of sin and, and the severity and the seriousness of it. But I think too often we have, we have put too much emphasis on solemnness. We almost, it's like if we're going to be pious before God, we have to be very solemn. And this is when we come into this sanctuary, we can't be joyous. We have to be very quiet and solemn. Um, and I don't think that's what this is about at all. I don't think, going back to this first verse, what you just read in Psalm 100, shout joyfully to the Lord. I don't think we shout enough, to be honest with you. So what is this joy like that Christ desires for us? If you turn to Hebrews chapter 12, I want to take a look at this tonight. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. There's a joy that Jesus wants us to have, and he wants us to have it in our life. He wants it to be full in our life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Now, we've just finished with chapter 11, and this talks about all these saints who have, have gone through horrendous ordeals, and yet their faith has remained firm and solid right through to the end. And it starts in chapter 12 then saying, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And we talked about that this morning. And let us run with endurance the race that was, is set before us. And how do we do that? Going on in verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's exactly what we talked about this morning. We need to look to the Lord. Every time we deal with sin, we need to go back to the cross and see the depth of the love that he has for us and rest in that. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And here it is. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was willing to go through the shame of rejection the injustice of an illegal trial, and all of the unimaginable torture that led up to his death on the cross. Why? It says right there, because of the joy that he knew would be his as a result of his sacrifice on the cross. And not his only, 
that joy would be something he wants each of us to have as well. When Jesus said that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full, this joy that, is, that he's talking about here, this incredible and indescribable joy, was so encompassing and so overwhelming that it far exceeds and overshadows the horror of the intense hatred and shame and injustice and torture that he experienced. And we don't have to wait until the age to come to be able to experience this in our own lives. Just imagine that. Um, I don't know if any of you saw that movie that was out a few years ago um, about, about Christ's uh, torture on the cross. It was done by uh, Mel Gibson. It was, just the, it was just a horrendous movie to, to watch and to understand just what Jesus actually went through. And I don't think, from what I've read, I don't think it even did justice to, to what he actually experienced. And yet he was willing to do that because the joy that he anticipated far exceeded whatever he had to go through. Now I need to stop seeing things. Um, we talked about three things that caused sin this morning or, or the, the source of sin. They're lust, fear, and pride. We need to stop thinking about what will satisfy our lust, what will satisfy our fear, what will satisfy our pride. In order to experience this joy that Jesus wants us to have, I need to start seeing things from God's perspective. And I need to do this more and more, all the time. And that's what we talked about the two verses this morning, Romans 12, chapter 2, where it says, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And in Colossians chapter 3, he said, set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. Now one thing I want us to see here, um, if you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel chapter 36. Um, remember Jesus told um, Nicodemus, he said, we must be born again. That's an absolute necessity. And the truth of the matter is, when we're believers, our old nature is gone. That old nature, that old selfish nature doesn't live in us anymore. This is what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Going to Ezekiel chapter 36 now, starting in verse 26. This is what the Lord is talking about when he's talking about giving us the Holy Spirit. He says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, <clears throat> within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances we talked about that this morning, too, that we'll be careful to observe God's ordinances because the motivation that God has for all that he does will be the same motivation we have. And that motivation is pure, unconditional love because God now lives within us. Turn to Romans chapter 7, if you would. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 18. When we listen to what's going on inside of us, we, we, have, we still have this old nature not the old nature that was there in terms of, of the spirit that used to be ours, but we still have a body that has lusts. And that's where the sin issue comes into play in, our, in us. And we have a choice with our mind. Do I listen to the new spirit that's within me, or do I listen to what's going on in my flesh and what it desires? Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. 
For the good that I wish, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am going, if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it. That is, my spirit, the thing, the new heart that's within me is not what's leading me in this direction. I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me, in my flesh, that is. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. And I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind. Praise God, one day we will have new bodies. We'll have glorified bodies, and this won't be a problem anymore where we will have these lusts and these desires of the flesh that we have right now. But in the meantime, we do have them. And Satan's battleground, like I mentioned this morning, is in our mind. And too often, I try to fight this battle in the flesh, and that's a battle I just can't win. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we, we talked about this this morning. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. Divinely powerful. The God of all creation has given us his power to deal with this issue. They're divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And what are these fortresses? We are destroying speculations, or as the King James Version says, imaginations, things we just make up in our minds. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Christ came to earth for the express pur purpose of defeating Satan. John talked about that in 1 John. He says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, what exactly are these works, the works of the devil? Basically, when we think about God, it means refusing to love. First John, if we go back four verses there in First John chapter three, it says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. And then again in verse eight, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. So lawlessness, remember we talked about the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we talked this morning about how all of the other laws and everything come under the umbrella of these two laws. If we fulfill these two laws, we don't have to worry about all these other details. They're going to happen. We will be obedient. And so if we're talking about lawlessness, we're talking about refusing to love the way God wants us to love. And that brings about what we talked about is separation. We separate ourselves from other people and we separate ourselves from God. This is what Satan desires, to have a separation. No loving relationships, everybody being antagonistic toward each other and rejecting God altogether. But we also need to understand that there are works of God. So what are the works of God? Well, Jesus was asked about this by his disciples in John chapter 6. And he's talking with his disciples, and they, they asked the question. They said in verse 28, They said therefore to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Now you might think he would have answered, Well, first of all, you need to give to the poor. Uh, you need to keep the Sabbath. Um, you need to make sure that uh, you're, you're responsible. You, you earn your own living. You need to make sure that you do good, all these things. But Jesus didn't answer that way. 
His answer was, in verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. We just read that Jesus was sent to destroy the works of the devil. That's the works of God. That sin that constantly plagues me in my life, that's guaranteed to be absolutely destroyed. What a joy it is to realize that. And it's nothing I have to do. Christ came to do that for us. A relationship with God is based on faith in who he is. This is a love. This is who he is. He's love, and he's the love that overcomes all things. And I want to go over this one more time, the, this, this thing we came up with in our, in our small group this, this past year. The more time I spend with God, the more I know him. And the more I know him, the more I love him. And the more I love him, the more I trust him. So what am I supposed to believing that will be believing that will result in the joy that God wants me to have? Well, there's four things that I picked out here as I went through the scriptures. And the first one we find in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. I am reconciled to God. That means I am no longer separated from him. I need to recognize that and trust in that. I need to have faith in that. Colossians 1.21 says, and although, and we don't like to think about this, Paul talked about it in Romans that we were actually enemies of God. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. He's done that for us. Second one, I have a new spirit within me. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. Colossians 1, verse 26. Christ is my hope of glory. My hope is that I will be able to love the way God wants me to love be able to love the way God loves, that my life will be a true reflection of what his love really is all about. Colossians 1, starting in verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's no possible way that I can love in my own effort, in my own power, the way God wants me to. But it's Christ in me. That's my hope of glory. He can love through me. Verse 28, and we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily in me. Again, it's all God doing all of this. Uh, there's two more uh, passages I would like you to turn to. The first one is Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, and the second one is Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Philippians chapter 3, and then Ephesians chapter 5. God is now lovingly in control of transforming me and in control of building his church. And this is something we so often lose sight of. We tend to think of, you know, 
That person right over there, he knows what he's supposed to be doing, and yet he doesn't do it. God is in the process of transforming that believer. God is in the process. He knows the right timetable. He knows what that person has gone through in their life. He understands the struggles they've been through. He understands their weaknesses. He understands who I am, and he's transforming me according to his timetable and his schedule. When it comes to someone else, I'm just supposed to be bringing them the truth and loving them. In Philippians 2.13, it says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. And then going down to the, the passage I mentioned, chapter 3, verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Once again, it's the work of God. It's not the work of me. In Ephesians, before we get to chapter 5 there, I just wanted to read this from uh, chapter 1. And he has put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When we think about the church, we are the body of Christ. We have the power of God himself right here in this body of believers working to accomplish his will. Going down now to the passage in chapter 5, starting in verse 25. Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. That's an amazing thing when we think about that. All these things are what God has promised to do in us and for us and through us. He's now reconciled us to him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's his power that works mightily in me. He's the one who will transform me into conformity. He's the one who sanctifies the church. He's the one who cleanses the church in order to present each one of us before him, pure and blameless. What a joyful thing that is, because as hard as I try, I just can't do it. And believe me, I've been trying for a lot of years, and when I try to do it in my own power, according to my own plans and according to my own strength, I always fail. But God is working within me according to his plan, according to his timetable. And I can rest in that because it's, a, it's an assurance and it's an absolute thing that he is doing. And he will follow it through to completion. Joy comes from seeing how God is transforming me in spite of myself. In 1 Peter chapter, six, or chapter 1, turn to this one because this is exciting when we look at this and begin to really think about what it means. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Remember now, the, the, the sin that dwells in me is in my flesh. It's not in this new spirit that God has given me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. Remember back Psalm chapter 100, verse 1 there? Shout joyfully to the Lord. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you rejoice greatly with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And when he says that this joy is inexpressible, it's, he's not saying that we shouldn't try to express it because it's just a beyond our ability. It's that no matter how much we express the joy that we have within us, we can never completely express it. It's so far beyond what we can comprehend and what we can really find words to express. That's why he says, shout to the Lord, sing praises to his name, all the earth. This joy is something that just should be overwhelming in our lives. I liken it kind of like going to, to a Broadway play. Um, um, I don't know if any of you have ever been to those, but those are kind of like the, the top actors in, in the world often come to Broadway. And you go to this one Broadway play, and you go to it, and, and it's just these exceptional actors. And they put on this exceptional play, and they do such an incredible job. And at the end, the audience is just overwhelmed with this production that's happened. And they jump to their feet with a standing ovation, and their applause is just thunderous. This is what it's like watching God work in our lives and work in the lives of others. But more than that, it's like simultaneously also being up on the stage and being part of the production. Because God is working in us, and he's working through us. That's an exciting thing, to be part of this and at the same time being able to watch it happen and know that it's his power working within us. Joy also comes from seeing others reconciled to God and seeing them grow in their relationships with God and with each other. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When we think about this, so often we see the lives of others and sometimes we begin to get judgmental. We look at them and, and, and we look down on them as if, we have anything, any pedestal to be looking down from at all. We need to be looking at our own hearts. Like we talked about this morning, noticing our own sin and going right back to the cross. And this is when we see that, that, that sorrow that's within our hearts. That's where we need to be leading other people to the cross as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's like being in that audience and watching what God is doing, and at the same time, we're up on the stage performing, being part of it. He gave us this ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And if God doesn't count tre trespasses against, against us, then when we deal with others, we need to not be dealing with trespasses in a judgmental sense. We need to be leading them to the cross where they can experience the love of God. Not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. Paul talks about this. He says, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Paul had been faithful to take the word out, to take it to people who had never heard the word before, and watch God through the word that he was taking to people transform lives and bring people into a, an eternal relationship with him. What a joy that was for him to see that. 
In chapter 3, verse 9, he says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before God on your account? That brings up the question, though, is this joy really able to be experienced while we're living on earth, or is this just something that, you know, super apostles like Paul or somebody like that experiences? Um, I can't remember whether it was last year or the year before. We were, we were blessed to have Gracia Burnham here. And I don't know how many of you remember her, but she and her husband were missionaries over in the Far East. And they were on a vacation, and um, some terrorists came, took them prisoner, prisoner and they were the, the, uh, the prisoners of this terrorist group for quite some time. And yet to hear Gracia talk as she was here, her husband was eventually killed. But to this day, a number of those terrorists are still in prison, and yet she has a relationship with them. She still communicates with them, and a number of them have come to salvation. What an incredible joy that is to see these people. What she went through, as difficult and as terrible as that was while she was experiencing it, the joy of seeing these people come to know the Lord and have an eternal, uh, an eternal um, relationship with him, that just far outweighed everything that she went through. Now, that doesn't mean that she didn't experience a sorrow, and it still isn't something she grieves over when she thinks about her husband, but the joy is so much deeper and so much more powerful than that. I wanted to read you a, a newspaper article. There's a pastor named Saeed Abedini. He's from Iran. He grew up a Muslim. He became a Christian, and he eventually left Iran. He came to this country. He became a citizen, and he became a pastor. And fairly recently, he went back over to Iran because he wanted to help support and build some orphanages over there. There's a number of children who have no parents. And the state doesn't do a particularly good job with orphanages. And so he went back over there to do that. He was taken off the bus one day, and he has been imprisoned. And so he's been in this prison for quite some time. He's been tortured by the guards. It's one of the worst prisons in the world. And because he's a Christian and not a Muslim, the prisoners hate him too, so he's been beat up by the prisoners as well. And finally, um, because the law over there says that if you're, you need medical attention, they have to give it to you, after numerous attempts, he was finally taken to a hospital. But the people there were Muslim, and they told him, oh, you're a Christian, and uh, you're unclean, so we aren't even allowed to touch you. And he was sent back to the prison without being healed. Now, he has family over there, and they have been allowed from time to time to come and visit him. And during one of those times, he handed them a, a letter, which he got back to his light, wife, who lives with their children in Boise, Idaho. And this is the, the newspaper article. The American pastor jailed in Iran for his Christian faith, and this is from uh, just May of this year, has managed to get a letter out to his global supporters, thanking them for their prayers while confirming the brutality of his conditions. Saeed Abedini, the 33-year-old Idaho resident serving an eight-year prison term in Tehran's infamous Evan prison, passed the letter to family members who were permitted to visit him after several weeks of isolation. The letter was then passed to Abedini's wife, Nagma, who was at their Boise area home with her two children and unable to visit her husband for fear of being arrested herself. Pastor Saeed wrote, I heard that the persecution, my arrest and imprisonment has united churches from different denominations, from different cities and countries that would never come together because of their differences. 
He added, you don't know how happy I was in the Lord and rejoiced knowing that my, in my chains, the body of Christ has chained together and is brought to action and prayer. Pastor Abedini signed the letter with many thanks for your continued and faithful prayers. Servant of our Lord in chains for Jesus Christ, Saeed. The joy that Christ talked about is something we can experience today. No matter what the world throws at us, the worst that it has to offer, this joy is something that far surpasses that. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, if you would. Hebrews chapter 10. And then we're going to take a look at Hebrews chapter 13. The question then is, so what must I do? Where do I start? Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Not because of our own effort or our own ability to do that. For he who promised is faithful because of God. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. Not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. Turn over to chapter 13, verse 15. Chapter 13, verse 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Ephesians chapter 4, we read, starting in verse 14, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. We have the truth. The truth has been given to us. The truth lives within us in Christ. And we have the, been given the ministry of sharing that truth with others. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. We need to understand that each one of us as individuals has a place and a specific purpose in this body. God uses each one of us in different ways, but he uses us to minister to each other. It might be encouragement, it might be giving, it might be prayer, it could be any number of things, but every one of us has a purpose and we are empowered by God and directed by him and this causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So what do we do? We need to spend time in prayer and in his word. I need to do this so that my knowledge of him and my faith in him is constantly increasing. Number two, I need to make it a habit to continually look for evidence that God is working in my life and in the lives of others so that my praise of him may be continuous. On the two mission trips we went on with the, uh, with the youth group to West Virginia and to uh, southern New York State, they had a thing that they called um, um, God sightings. And every day, whenever we went out to the job sites to work with the people there who um, needed the help that we were providing, we were to look for God sightings, things where we could see God working. It may be in one person on the, on the work crew encouraging another one, or it may be someone taking a little time to talk with one of the residents. Or it could just be something where everything was just not going right and all of a sudden God made things just happen and things worked out for the day. It could be any number of things. 
And then every night we would come back after working all day at these sites and we'd come together and we'd have a group meeting with usually around 300 people at these, at these uh, mission trips. And they would ask for people to come forward and share some of their God sightings for the day. And these were exciting things to be able to hear as people would get up and talk about where they'd seen God working in their lives right there where they were, where they were at that time. This is what we need to be doing. We need to be looking for what God is doing in our lives, looking what he's doing in the lives of, God, of people around us. Each time I meet with fellow believers, I need to come prepared to tell them about what God has been doing in my life. One of the things I noticed tonight when Ron asked, does anybody have a testimony, and this is fairly common, it's kind of like, oh shoot, now I can't remember what went on this week. We need to be thinking about these continually. In fact, I would encourage each one of us, write them down. Make yourself a list so that when I come next week, I'm going to have a list of things and we're going to have problems trying to get out of here by 7 o'clock because there's going to be so many people talking about what God is doing in their lives and what God is doing around us. Each time I meet with fellow believers, I need to be prepared to tell them about this. I also need to be encouraging other believers to tell me about what's going on in their life, how God is working in their life. That not only encourages me, but it also helps them to be able to develop their relationships with other people. The bottom line in all this is, if I choose to look for what's wrong in the world, what's wrong with other people, and what's wrong with me, there's just an abundance. I'm never going to exhaust that. I will always find what I'm looking for. And it's going to be discouraging. It's going to be exasperating. And it's going to bring me to a point of despair. It's always there because we live in a sinful world, a world that's been corrupted by sin. But if, on the other hand, I look for what God is doing in spite of all these things that are wrong, I'll also find an abundance of what I'm looking for that far surpasses the works of the devil. As I continually look for what God is doing in me and through me and in people around me, I'll find it. It's there. And when I see that, that's when I begin to experience this indescribable joy because I see the reality of God in my life at all times. When the joy of the Lord permeates my life, my love for him and my love for others will more and more become the sole motivation for everything I do. And the joy will be ever increasing and never ending. And it'll be a, and this joy is the joy that surpasses all that Jesus had to experience when he went to the cross. That's the joy what Jesus was talking about when he says that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. That's something God wants us to have right here and right now. Let's pray. Father, this is just staggering when we think about it. And even more staggering, Lord, is, is the, the fact that we miss it. It's right there all around us. It's right there before our eyes. And yet we're so bombarded with the things of the world. And Satan is so good at making us think about the things that entice our lust and challenge our fears and tickle our pride. And those are the things we end up looking at. But Father, your love is at work all around us and in us and through us. And we just pray, Father, that you'll help each of us tonight challenge us, continually work within us to help us to be able to transform our minds, to be looking for these things, the things of you, 
that are happening all around us at all times. And we pray, Father, that that will bring about the great joy that Jesus talked about when he said that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. We're so thankful that you've given this to us, Lord, and we just pray that we can experience it to the fullness as you desire. This we ask and we pray for in Jesus' name. Amen.